Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed Word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message.
families, on behalf of the church, that he'll be merciful unto us, he'll be merciful unto us, in all our deeds, in all our ways, he'll be merciful unto us, yes, because his mercies are new every morning, oh, but there are times we take that for granted, because we have an assurance that it will be new the following day, so this, this evening, we just want to say, Father, mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord.
to the vision of the church 200 bishops 20,000 pastors yes the reward for hard work is indeed more work father indeed we pray father that you send more laborers into your vineyard for of a truth the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few we thank you lord that you continue to raise amazing, amazing and wonderful people from amongst us to serve in your house, O oh Lord. We give you all the praise and honor this evening. We pray, Lord, that as the word comes forth, it will continue the good work that has been begun in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on, somebody. Let's make some noise. Let's invite upstage our one and only Reverend Gilbert as a boy. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us once again in your presence to hear your holy precious words. We 
ask you that you bless our words. Draw us into yourself. Draw us after the unction, the anointing. May we be transformed into vessels that you can use. May your will be accomplished. May your will be done in our lives, in the church, and in the world, as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank the Lord. We are going to continue on our series, Seven Steps to the Anointing. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to move away from point number one. So we will do a bit of a revision there. But uh, before that, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter one. You are going to discover as you read the Bible and as you look at church history, as you look at how God has dealt with mankind in the past, you are going to see there are certain repeating patterns. Hallelujah. And these repeating patterns are there for our learning. And so in, a, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, let's start. The words of the preacher, the son of David, came in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Okay, j j just uh, hold, hold that for a moment. So in this scripture, he is emphasizing some things that remain, right? People come and go, but he said the earth abides forever. So if you look at God's dealings with people on the earth, you're going to find some things that is the same way God is dealing with people. Amen. Amen. You know, we may be the generation that will witness the coming of the Lord, but if not, another generation will come. And they are going to pick up the same books, 66 books in the Bible, and they are going to read the same things. Every generation has had the same scriptures. Hallelujah. What we do with it and how, what, how we respond to the call and purposes of God is up to us. But it doesn't change God's standard. It doesn't change God's word. Amen. Okay, keep going. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. So you see, the, the preacher is giving certain things that are constant, right? The sun rises, the sun goes down. This, this thing is a given. Is that not so? And hastens to the place where it arose. Next verse. The wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. Once again, it's talking about repeating cycles. Amen. Life is about knowing certain repeating cycles in terms of how God has organized and created the world. Amen. Both in the natural and in the spiritual. Because it is wisdom to notice things. Amen. I remember reading a book called, I'm trying to remember, The Alchemist. And in it, there was a young Spanish boy who was pursuing a dream of discovering something near the Egyptian pyramid. Amen. How many have read the book? You've read the book? Did you fall in love with the book? Did you read to the end? Okay. It's a very powerful book. And he met somebody who told him that you should watch 
the signs that you see. Because in the journey of life, you are going to see certain signs. Some of them may be trying to tell you something. Amen. Please understand that all things have been created. The Bible says all things were created by God, uh, by Christ, by God through Christ and for Christ. Hallelujah. So, understand that even the creation serves God's purpose. So, he can place things in a way to accomplish his will. If you are driving and, you know, all of a sudden a bird comes to sit on your, on your uh, 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 windscreen and then you use the wiper to let the bird fly off and you go, let's say, 100 um, meters and the same bird comes to sit there. Do you get it? And you use it to wipe it off again. And you go another, and you see that the same, but maybe you notice the color of the wings or whatever. Maybe at that point, you need to get off the road and look around. Maybe God is trying to tell you something through the bed. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, there are some things that you, you, you should notice things that are like repeating cycles. Hallelujah. And so, go to the next verse. Oh, we haven't read this one. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. Amen. Because what happens is that, you know, you see the cycle, the water cycle, if you remember. You know, the evaporation, go, if things goes up, it comes down as rain. The waters are kept, you know, flowing. And so th- there is a cycle of life that goes on. And, and, uh, and as you see the natural cycle, certain repeating things, so also is true in the spirit realm. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, first the natural, then the spiritual. Because from, from where we are sitting, from where we are sitting, we are so used to the natural, right? We, that's where, that is where the conversation starts. That we must notice natural things. And then God is trying to use natural things to speak to us about spiritual things. That's why Paul said, first the natural, then the spiritual. All right? All things are full of labor. <laughs> Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. You see, this seems to be like giving you a summary of things in this. So he, they said so far. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Hallelujah. See, as you are studying steps to the anointing, all the point, all the, the, the main thing I'm trying to say is that God has put certain structures and certain patterns in the pages of the sacred text for us to discover. Hallelujah. And if you have seen this is how God dealt in this situation, then you can say, okay, if I follow the same path, it will happen to me. Is that not so? And so, that which has been is what will be. How Elisha received the anointing from Elijah. If you follow the same thing, it will be the same thing. And there is nothing new under the sun. It's in the context of how God deals with mankind. Yeah. In fact, in Genesis 1, there's a verse that says that as long as the earth remains, okay, seed time and harvest time will continue. Amen. So look at this. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. Hallelujah. Do you know that somebody discovered a scripture? I don't know. Is it Isaiah? That talks about two towers. Two towers falling. 
And then it talks about how somebody is going to arise after the towers have fallen and say impudently and say that even if you reduce us to ashes, we shall rebuild again. Now, after 9-11, sometime after that, somebody who was a politician said exactly those words. And it's not clear whether he had read that passage in Isaiah or it's just happenstance. But it was so much um, exactly, like almost exactly the same word for word. Amen. So you will see that patterns, that there's these patterns. And if this is the case, then we should, we should stay very close to the test we are studying. Hallelujah. Because if your goal in life is to enter into the anointing, then there is not another path that is going to be laid before you. The path that the, the, our forerunners walk through is the same path. It's called the ancient paths. Hallelujah. Because you see, sometimes people will like shortcuts. But there are certain things that there is no short, shortcut or there is no way other way around it. So in terms of the principle of vessel change, a few things that we want to emphasize. Changing of vessel is not a pleasant experience. Amen. If you are naturally wired a certain way, and because of the anointing you're supposed to change, it's not going to be easy on you. So the big question is, how much of your old self are you willing to die to? And how much is the anointing worth to you? Hallelujah. Because unless you can die to self, you cannot enter into the glory. Amen. So, you know, um, there are people, for instance, who don't like to read. But you want to be a great leader, leading a lot of people. Do you get it? I mean, of course, a certain type of wisdom is, is given to you at birth. <laughs> Amen. But, but you discover that if you are leading a big group of people, chances are that the variety of people you are leading is going to be very broad. Is that not so? Different kinds of people. Some will be rich. Some will be not so rich. Some will be from a certain uh, ethnic or uh, national origin. Like if you are leading a vast range of people and you don't like to read and you want to, you want to lead, you want an anointing for a big, uh, to lead a big group of people. One of the things that is going to be required of you is that God will like you to what? Change and read. Amen. I don't think it was, it was um, by accident that Moses was sent to Pharaoh's house as a baby. Amen. Of course, he needed to encounter God eventually. But then his secular training, okay, also contributed to who he was to become as a leader. Is that not so? And so you're going to see this part. Now look at this guy. We read about Gehazi last week. The bishop said, to receive such a heavy prophetic healing anointing such as that on Elisha, a person cannot have problems such as lying, stealing, and covetousness. The anointing of Elisha does not fit into a lying and covetous vessel. See, if you are going to be a prophet, a person who speaks for God, and we cannot rely on your words, right? Like, like, you, 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 you are in the habit of lying frequently and, and making light of it. And you, one day, when, when you are confronted, you say, well, everybody, li everybody does, everybody lies. A little lie will not hurt anything. 
you are not about to become a prophet who, who can who God can rely on you. But otherwise, if you say something, how can we know? How can we know it is from God or from yourself? Amen. And if you jokingly lie and you say, Oh, I was just kidding. If you are going to be a prophet, when you are saying something that is serious from God, how will we know when you are joking and when you are uh, you are saying something true? So that even if you are used to cracking jokes and telling little little lies, and often what happens is that people who do that, the the um the, there's not often all the time that you go back and get the opportunity to correct to correct something that you said that wasn't true. I mean, your friends would have left, and they, they probably have gotten used to it. Some, take, some may take what you're saying seriously, some may not take it seriously. And in most instances, what the matter is about is not important enough. And people, people may, it, it may not really matter whether what you said was true or not. But then that lifestyle, if you cultivate that lifestyle, then it becomes a nature. And when that's the nature that you have, and you're not willing to change, then you are not going to be somebody that God will rely on you to, to carry, to carry a, a prophetic word. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? If you desire a particular anointing, God will mold you into the type of vessel that can contain the anointing. We are still talking about the principle of vessel change. If God wants to do you to be a great pastor, he may work on your education. He may work on your knowledge of administration and law. Amen. To receive the anointing, you must allow him to work on you. So then, once again, you come to you come to um, that age-old debate as to what makes a person successful, which I've alluded to a few times here in the past. Amen. You see, there's a scripture that says that um, you know you was if if that shall confess what if that shall believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That um, Romans 10 scripture. And if that shall confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that shall be saved. Is that not so? And then, and then, um, so you see that in that Roman scripture, the, the, the conditions for salvation is believing and confessing your faith. Is that not so? And so, who is doing the work of the salvation? Well, but in terms of, in terms of who did the, 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 the heavy lifting, Christ has done it already. We, we teach that Christ has completed the work. When it was done, he said, it is finished. Is that not so? So that by, by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, you are actually laying hold of that which Christ has already accomplished. Is that not so? But if you end, if you end there, then what's going to happen is that people will make that confession of faith and go on leading their life the same way they were leading without any effort to change anything. Is that not so? So then you see that it is a path, it is a work of grace that God brings on you after you made the confession in Christ. But an aspect of that also is how you cooperate with that grace and how you respond and lean into God in order to start on this new life of, of uh, working with God. Amen. So that always you're going to have the God part and, the, and your part. That is what Paul wrote in Philippians. He said, he said um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So in the one hand, he's writing to Romans that you are, you are saved by faith and by confession. But then in Philippians, he's saying, work your salvation out. Does that mean the work of Christ is, is, is useless? No. No. After the work of Christ has happened to you, now you need to work it out. Hallelujah. And so in this, in this account of um, the principle of vessel change, 
We are not doing away with grace. We are not doing away with how God helps you in the, in the effort of serving him. What we are saying is that you must recognize what God is trying to change in you. For some people, what that God, God wants to change is the way you speak. Amen. Your language. The way you speak. You have a lot of things to say, but how you are saying it is driving people away from you. It may be the vessel change that needs to happen. Hallelujah. You so as for me, I'm kana uh, Whatever I feel like saying, I say it. It's not everything you say everywhere at every time. You have to season your word with salt. Amen. Are you listening to me? So, so for some people, the um, James chapter three scripture comes to play. That okay, he says that mankind has been able to tame every type of beast, but has not been able to tame his tongue. For somebody, that's the the, the vessel change that must happen. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? So, back to um, the list. Many changes may have to take place in your character and moral life if God is to use you for great achievements. Those who refuse to change and to modify are refusing to be recipients of the anointing. That is the principle of vessel change. Second step to the anointing. We are talking about seven steps to the anointing. Second step is servanthood. Throughout the Bible, you are going to discover that people that receive an anointing or an unction have been servants. Amen. Like in the introductory um, message, I went to great pains in explaining how the, uh, the purpose of the anointing is actually to make you a minister. And by minister, I mean a servant. Hallelujah. And so, you start your pursuit of the anointing by being a servant. And even after the anointing comes on you, that same heart of servanthood must continue. It's not like the servanthood is a means to an end. And then after you attain the end, you throw away the means. Amen. Like for instance, there are certain things that you're going to keep needing. The key, the key to your house, right? You need it to do what? Open the door to your house. After you open the door to your house, what do you do with the key? Do you throw it outside the window? You have to keep because you are going to need it tomorrow. Amen. And even nowadays, you know, that certain cars have keyless way of starting the car. But do you know that the key has to be inside the car? Like, you have to put the key inside the car and when you click something, it, it will start. If the key is not on you, it won't start. Brother Ben, am I, am I saying the truth? He's my car expert. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So that you may think that, oh, now I've opened the car and then now I don't need the key. Or I've opened the house. I don't. No, 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 no. There are certain things that after you have used and achieved, you still need it for a future use. And servanthood and the heart of servanthood is something that is going to be needed. But the problem is that everybody wants to be served. Jesus meanwhile said that the Son of Man came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve. Most people are looking to be to be to be big shots, and 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 that type of heart is not something that is attractive to God. Hallelujah! When we are talking about the anointing, we are talking about God Himself. To be anointed means that God is clothing you with Himself. Hallelujah! What that means is that what that means is that it's like the Ark of the Covenant, which is which is made of wood and covered with gold. So if God is going to clothe you with himself, it is like um, he's making you act as him. 
And for somebody to trust you enough to make you act as him, the person must be sure that you are not going to do something that will embarrass him. Is that not so? Are you following what I'm saying? Amen. And so if that is the nature of the one whom we are seeking, whom we are following, who is Christ, that his nature is servanthood, then if servanthood is one of the tools or one of the steps or one of the means to attain unto what God wants us to be, it should not be difficult for us at all. Hallelujah. Look at this scripture. Um, 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. So we are talking about steps to the anointing. The first step is the principle of vessel change. Allow God to change you. The second step is servanthood. If you want to be anointed, it's, I mean, it's as simple as that. Have the heart of a servant. Look at this scripture. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king of Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of, of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the secret pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So now, if you're looking at the scale, the scale, the, 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 um, if you look at Kings, okay, the standard for who God lied or who did what pleased God was David. So you will see that the description is that this person did this and this and that, but not like David. Do you get it? David was God's standard. Now, if you look at um, the kings of Israel, because after uh, Solomon died, the kingdom was divided into Israel and Judah. So along the, 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 the line of the kings of uh, Israel, of course, the first one was Jeroboam, right? And no, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of uh, Solomon, but then the person who broke away was Jeroboam. Hallelujah. So, so in the land of Jeroboam, later you had Ahab, right? Whose wife was Jezebel. You will notice that, you will notice that whenever God is describing how bad, how evil a king is, he may say that they are not as evil as Ahab and Jezebel. Amen. And then the, <laughs> the intermediate, the intermediate could be Jeroboam. Look, so look at the scripture. He said that, he said that um, Jehoram, who was son of Ahab, he said that he was not as bad as his parents, but then he, he was as evil as Jehoram. Okay, let's keep going. Now, Meshach, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams, because Moab was, being, was under Israel. Okay, Moab Israel was their masters. And when Ahab was in power, this king Meshab used to have to pay tribute or taxes, if you like, to the king of Israel. And so it says that when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So now the king is no more there. His son is in power. This guy, I remember I used to visit the palace. He used to be a little boy in the house. Now I have to serve him. No. So he rebelled. I'm no more going to pay these taxes. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mastered all Israel. He's going to war. He's going to force Moab to come back to be their servant. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Do you remember? 
Jehoshaphat has said, made the same statement before. When um, King Ahab wanted to go and fight the Syrians, Jehoshaphat was still king of Judah. And keep in mind that these are brothers. Judah, Israel, these are all descended from who? Jacob. There are 12 tribes of uh, Jacob. It's one nation, but then after Solomon died, it has the kingdom has been divided. Do you understand? And Ahab solicited Jehoshaphat's help to go and fight the king of Syria when Ahab was alive. In fact, it was in that war that Ahab died. Do you get it? And Jehoshaphat was nearly killed. First, they kidnapped him, the Syrians, because the, 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 the king had instructed um, the Syrian army that this war is not a war among soldiers. We came, our main goal is to capture the king of Israel and kill him. So when they saw somebody who looked like a king, Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah, who only went to help the king of uh, Israel. He sometimes certain things, if you go and help somebody, you may be there. So they arrested Jehoshaphat and they were about to do something. They said, no, no, I'm not the king of Israel. And then they let him go. So I'm surprised that Jehoshaphat has not learned his lesson. Now Ahab's son is now asking him, would you go with me to war against the Moabites? But Jehoshaphat is a good brother. You see, your brother has a dirty job to do, and they ask you, <laughs> you see. So I'm seeing this pattern. He said, these are the exact words. If you go back, this is the exact word he told Jehoram's father, Ahab. He said, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Okay, let's go up. Then he said, which way shall we go up? He answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So they are going to meet with the Moabites. The king of Israel went up one with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. So they were in great distress. Do you get it? And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So what are the three kings? The king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Okay, the king of Edom is Edom is Esau. So Esau, Esau's descendants, and then and then and, and Jacob's descendants, which are now two two different nations. Okay, and you see, when you are not spiritual, when you are not working with God, any calamity you read negative things into it. You do not have you do not have the divine narrative. To be able to read into the situation and say, what good thing can come out of this? Okay? Is that what you are seeing? I'm, I have not got into my main point, but I, I, cannot <laughs> I cannot comment on certain things as we go along. That, that okay, what was, the, what was the situation? What was the situation that they found themselves in that is making the king of Israel say this? It's the verse before. They were going around in circles, not knowing where they are going, and they have, they are, their supplies have finished. In war, you need supplies. They don't have water, water for themselves, and they don't have, uh, if today it will, be, it will be fuel for their tanks. Do you get it? So the, the horses are their tanks. There's no water for the horses, and there's no water for the army. And so they are in a very great distress. And then a person who has not been walking with God, a person who only sees natural things, does not see the divine blueprint and does not see possibilities of relief, can only interpret things by in judgment terms. So go to verse 10. He said that, look, 
The Lord has called us to hand us into the hand of Moab. So he was what? Beginning to lose hope. Do you get it? What's the next verse? But Jehoshaphat, if you know, Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He was the king of Judah and was a godly man. He knew God. Amen. Is there no prophet of the Lord here? So immediately, he's beginning to seek the counsel of the Lord. He's beginning to look for a divine solution. We found ourselves in a naturally difficult situation. But is there a divine solution? Or is it time to lift our hands up and throw in the towel? Jehoshaphat said, no, 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 no. We must seek the counsel of the Lord. Is there what? No prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah? So pause there for a moment. So they are looking for who? A prophet of the Lord. Amen. Everybody knew Elijah was dead, gone to heaven. Something, Elijah is no more around. So now we are looking for somebody we can seek counsel from. We have, nobody has been, has been outdoored or has been shown, introduced to them as the new prophet that has replaced Eli Elijah. But there is a servant in the house of the, uh, of the king of Israel who seems to have a spiritual vision or understand the rhythms of God and the blueprints of God. That when somebody serves a prophet as a servant, that person receives the unction. Which is the point we are making, servanthood. So it says that this Elisha, the son of Shaphat, he is here. If you are looking for a prophet, don't look far. You see, we, we, we may not call him prophet Elisha, but the fact that he was around Elijah and pouring water on Elijah's hands, that qualifies him as somebody we can go and consult. Are you getting the picture? This is a key to enter into the anointing. Because as if it was a casual conversation, but the servant revealed something. Hallelujah. In fact, this person was a servant. The Bible said, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings I have ordained praise. This person who was not the king, but was a servant in the king's household, perhaps knew a lot more about spiritual matters than the king. Hallelujah. Let's look at the next verse. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So Jehoshaphat interpreted what the servant said, that if Elisha used to pour water on Elijah's hand, then the word of the Lord is with him. Hallelujah. We are talking about spiritual people looking at spiritual. Somebody will say, ah, but if he was just pouring water on Elijah's hand, let's look, a proper, let's look for a proper prophet. Not somebody who was just his boy, boy running after him. Do you understand? But Jehoshaphat and the skin of Israel's servant understood that being a servant to a man or woman of God qualifies you for the anointing. And so what does he say? So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of uh, Edom went down to him. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, <laughs> so they look for Elijah, he said, what have I to do with you? Keep in mind that the king of Israel, he was introduced in the opening verse, that he was evil, not as bad as Ahab and his wife, but he was like Jero Jeroboam, who also had other evils. So Elisha is upset with him. What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. These prophets were prophets of Baal or Baal. 
These are false prophets. These are uh, people that were not worshipping God. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So he's repeating to Elisha what he felt was happening. That we have been brought here. Maybe God is bringing us here as a trap to kill us. Next verse. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat of Judah, king of Judah, I will not look at you nor see you. So in other words, he said, look, the only reason why I'm talking to you is because of who you are associated with. Because it's because you came with Jehoshaphat. Sometimes people don't realize that your importance is because of who you are associated with. Amen. Because Elisha told him flat out, he didn't miss words that I wouldn't even enter the conversation with you if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. But because of Jehoshaphat, I will, I will give you a word. Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay, so we are, going to, um, um, we are going to end it there. But this verse is a key. It's an introductory key to the, this whole spectrum of servanthood. That a person who serves an anointed person in whatever capacity you are serving, you begin to become qualified for the anointing. Hallelujah. Put your hands together unto the Lord. And let's rise up, take our offering, and ask God to help us. Thank you, Jesus, Lord of Lords. Father, we bless you. We adore you. We thank you. We commit our ways to you, Lord. Help us. King of glory, help us. Touch our lives with these messages. And we commit to you our gifts, our offerings, that you will bless and sanctify them in the name of Jesus. Is somebody getting the basket?